Hey there, and welcome to Zero to One Humans, a podcast that tells stories of ordinary people who have made some extraordinary life choices. Join us as we talk to artists, travelers, writers, athletes, entrepreneurs, and just generally good people to find out the backstory of how they got going from zero to one. My name is Terence, and I am your host. North Korea remains an enigmatic place to most of us, and despite growing globalization and connectivity, a lot of us still know very little about this country. Join us today as we chat with Geoffrey C to learn about his journey of starting Chosun Exchange, a nonprofit that helps educate North Korean professionals through workshops on business and entrepreneurship. We discuss the difficult period getting the program off the ground, what entrepreneurship in North Korea looks like today, and their mission to build a bridge between North Koreans and the rest of the world. Hey, Geoffrey, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hi, Terence. Hi, hi. Uh, we will be spending some time today talking about one of the most reclusive countries in the world. Uh, to begin with, what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about North Korea? Yeah, so I, 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 I think I share a lot of the misconceptions. I think we think of North Koreans as uh, brainwashed. Uh, you know, it's called a hermit kingdom. Uh, and they have very little interaction with the rest of the world. And, and the, what they know about the rest of the world is so different from all of us. And I think in those elements, there's some truth to it, but there's also a lot of falsehoods. Um, and I think I learned that on my very first trip to North Korea in 2007, uh, more than a decade ago. Um, I went in there thinking that everyone was brainwashed. Uh, they were robots, kind of like worshipping some god emperor, and they don't have their own personality, thoughts, and ideas. But I think what just really impressed me on my first trip was I met this uh, North Korean university student, and she was telling me how she wanted to learn about business. And she wanted to do it because she wants to start a business and show that females can be great business leaders in the country. Um, and, and that was just, for me, shocking, right? I mean, elsewhere, I don't think it would be that amazing. But I just went there and I met someone who, A, was interested in business in a country that, for me, I thought it, because it was a communist country, there was no interest in business. Two, um, she had that personal aspiration, that ambition to prove something. Um, and I think that just shattered my my misconceptions about North Korea on the, on the very first trip. Right. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to spend a bit more time talking about, you know, your, your first trip and, and the journey that, that, that started henceforth. But maybe we can take a quick step back and can you tell our audience a little bit more about who Joffrey is? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, um, I'm born and raised in Singapore. You know, I was very lucky um, because I'm from a middle-class family. My father was a non-commissioned officer, became a hawker after that. My mom was a nurse. And then in, when I was in junior college in Singapore, uh, I received a scholarship to spend a month in the University of Pennsylvania. And at that time, uh, you know, it's hard to think about it now, but at that time, Philadelphia uh, and Penn was considered too dangerous for high school kids. So they actually put us out in the suburbs uh, and then they bus us down into the campus every day to take classes. Uh, and on one of the trips, there was a funeral march for a lady, a very young kid, probably, I guess, six, seven years old, who was shot in the streets. And for me, it just really changed my, uh, it changed my mindset. It was just, uh, I was just fascinated by issues of like urban poverty, you know, this inner city problems. And I decided I wanted to go back to Penn to study, got out to Singapore. And after that, spent had a quite a 
quite an international life until coming back to Singapore. So I was living in the U.S., uh, studied there, did my undergraduate, grad school, uh, worked in the U.S. for Bain & Company. And then um, after that, moved to China, worked a little bit, then to Korea, then to Vietnam. Uh, and now I am back in Singapore. Before uh, this whole COVID-19 shutdown all travel, I was basically, even though I was in Singapore, I was like splitting my time between India, Vietnam, and Indonesia. Well, I'm, I'm glad we uh, we have you in Singapore for some time now. But uh, just just thinking back, right, sometime you, you, around you know, 2009, 2010, you founded this organization called Chosun Exchange. Can you help us understand what this is uh, in a nutshell? Yeah, so I, you know, after my first trip, actually before my first trip, I was doing some work on North Korea. Uh, I've been to South Korea, you know, got some exposure to the issue and just found it really fascinating. So uh, in 2007, I was interning in Beijing and I thought I should, uh, you know, at the time I should go see North Korea. And I just went there as a tourist. Mm. Uh, and after meeting the lady who, uh, you know, she wanted to learn business to show that females can be great business leaders, um, I decided I wanted to find some way to help people like her. And I set up Chosun Exchange, you know, which is a, I would think of it as a grassroots volunteer network uh, where we bring people with experience in business, startup, entrepreneurship, economic policy from outside. We bring them to North Korea to run these workshops to give um, exposure to to this to topics like economic policy, entrepreneurship, business to North Koreans who just don't have very much access to this information. And, and who gets who gets to who gets to show up or who gets to attend these sessions from from the North Korean side? So when we first started, the way we'll do it is we just we send them a bunch of topics, uh, and then we ask our partners on the ground to suggest institutions that would benefit the most from these topics. So it could be like a university or other educational Mostly, institutions. I, we try to target people actually uh, who have working experience. So these are generally like business people, entrepreneurs, some government officials who are interested in the topics and are relevant to it. And they will be either starting a business, running a business, or working in something that you know, like policy that affects the businesses. Uh, so that's kind of how it happened. But over time, what happens is that we, as we did it over time, we've trained about close to 3,000 Koreans now. There's a lot of word of mouth. So we actually get a fair bit of people who just heard from a friend who went and then they're, oh, you know, I I, I, I heard they learned this and this from a workshop. I would love to go back, go there and join one of these workshops to see what's happening. Amazing. Um, so we're going to chat a little bit about your, your zero to one journey, but can you recall the first day where you, you know, you either created the website or you registered the organization? What do you remember most fondly about that moment? Yeah, so I think I would consider the, it's very interesting because it was a very long stretch out, I think, first day because, you know, I, I went after my first trip to North Korea, I came out. The initial thought was like, wow, I, I, this is such a fascinating place. I want to go and understand more about North Korea. Uh, and I started initially just wanting to go and be an exchange student there to talk to North Koreans and understand what they know of the world and how they think about it. Uh, so I actually like scanned all the news sources I could find on North Korea at that point in time. Uh, anyone who was doing something in there or live in North Korea, foreigners, and email, I would think pretty much all of them. Just, just cold, cold email them. Cold email or whatever means of contact mm. to get in touch with these people. Uh, some of them were very bizarre people. <laughs> um, you meet some very strange people in the field. Um, but it was really this group in Australia, no, in New Zealand. It was a church group in New Zealand that had been doing humanitarian work in the country for 20 years. And they were the one who put me in touch with uh, our partners in the country. Uh, that's it. That was a two-year process because, you know, I didn't hear from anyone from North Korea for a very long time. 
at some point, you know, two years down the road, when I was almost going off to work for Bain, they reached out and said, hey, uh, you know, are you interested in, in coming to visit a country? Two years later. So the response was, was two years later. Yes, yes. So we only heard back from the North Koreans like two years later. And it was very, it was very perplexing because at that time, I didn't know exactly what they wanted. Uh, they were kind of, oh, can you just come down? You know, like you mentioned something about you know, economic training uh, or like student exchanges. Uh, we can discuss it. Uh, wow. So I was kind of like, okay, you know, don't really know what this people want, uh, but maybe I should I should think about it. So I took time off. I actually went to do an, uh, a Chinese language program in Beijing at Tsinghua University. Uh, and while there, I had time to explore more of this idea. Mm-hmm. And kind of how it manifested was in 2009, there was a currency crisis in North Korea. And this was sparked off by a revaluation of the local currency. And it was at that point where, uh, you know, it was quite a mess. And the North Koreans were much more interested in finding out about economic policy from outside. I think before that, they were always like, oh, we know what we're doing. You know, we, we run this, uh, I guess they would think of it as a successful communist economy. But I think that event changed the perspective. I think there was, a, you know, people who felt that the country needs to learn more and have more exchange of knowledge. And they knew I've been asking for a long time. So what one of North Koreans... Um, that I was in touch with basically asked me if I was interested in bringing some volunteers to talk about exchange rates and how they work. Uh, and this quite serendipitous, right? It's like, uh, you know, it, it was you know your project idea. You reached out to these people, they came back to you. And then the, the, the currency crisis kind of all came together to, to, to give birth to some exchange. Yeah, I, I would say it's almost kind of like, I think of it as a series of accidents. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's kind of how it happened, right? And I remember the, the first year of doing it, it was a really scrappy year. I was living off the couch of a lawyer in Beijing uh, who, you know, liked what I was doing, uh, was very supportive and basically was like, okay, every time you come to Beijing, you can just stay on my couch. Wow. Can, can, you, can you describe the conversation um, when you first mentioned to your family or friends that you were, you know, you're going to take time off to, to start this this economic exchange program with North Korea? I think there's the family part and then there's the friends part. I think the family part was, so I was lucky because I was living abroad at the time uh, and I was always quite independent. You know, part of it, I was, you know, I graduated during the global financial crisis. Uh, so even I had an offer from, so the good thing is I had an offer from Bain. So I just told my parents, like, oh, I'm going to join Bain, but I'm just taking some time off to, to uh, you know, travel a little bit and, and do some stuff. So, uh, they they kind of were quite accepting about it, and I think the good thing for me is that I don't come from like uh, a background where oh my parents were like super successful business people or politicians or lawyers, and then they have all this expectation like oh yeah my kid needs to 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 attain a certain standard right they're just like oh you got into university you know that's that's already like a big deal <laughs> like uh you know you know after that it's, it's were they were they worried though when you mentioned did you mention North Korea or did you just say I'm gonna go traveling. I, I don't mention North Korea. I think it drove them a little bit crazy because, you know, with the image from the news. I can only imagine. Like, oh, no, like nuclear crisis, uh, missile pass is on the verge of war with South Korea, the US. Uh, so they every time news like this comes out, I get all these messages from my mom being like, oh, you know, like it's very dangerous. Don't go back in there. And I'm like, that's like a normal day. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, so so through Chosun Exchange, you, you were effectively threading a very fine line between say entrepreneurship and, and capitalism right in, in, a, in a in a communist north korea like what was your biggest fear back then or did you have any fear at all yeah so i i mean the way we think about our work there in north korea is that you know we what we tell them is that i come from singapore and singapore's approach to economic development is mm-hmm. to figure out what works 
Uh, and what works borrows a bit from you know government intervention, some aspects of the market economy. You know you need a price system. You need you need to allocate resources efficiently. We don't subscribe to a very strong ideological lens on our training. Uh, we do believe in entrepreneurship. We believe is needed in places like this, but it's it's kind of a, a skill set, right? Um, and then you have institutions that needs to be set up, but they don't exist in in North Korea today. Um, in terms of the biggest fear, I guess when I was there. I I nearly died uh, twice in the country. Okay, let's 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 hear about this. Yeah, one uh one of it was on a flight out of North Korea, and you know it doesn't happen often or very much at all. But one of the flights I was on actually caught fire. Uh, so I woke up, plane was filled with smoke, and you know it took some time to figure out what's happening. But eventually, the plane had to do an emergency landing, so it was kind of like dropping, and I thought I was going to die on that flight. So that was a really uh, scary experience for me. Yeah. So the other one was uh, it was scary not because you know it was like a like a very physical near death experience, but it was kind of a bit of the context of the changes in North Korea right? and the you know kind of the polit- the politics in the country. So in two thousand fourteen, they executed um, this guy, this politician called Chang Sun Tae. He was a very powerful politician. He was the uncle of the current leader of North Korea. And, uh, you know, he was accused of all sorts of crimes. Just around the same period, slightly before he was executed, uh, one of our North Korean partners just went missing. And we also do a program in Singapore. He was supposed to bring a delegation here. Delegation, last minute we were told, delegation's been cancelled. This was one week before the program. We had spent all the time and money and effort setting it up. And we were obviously very upset about it. And we were like, hey, what's happening? Uh, we didn't get a response for a while. And then after the execution news came up, uh, we were like, oh, wait a moment. Is there a link here? And we didn't know at that point in time. So I said, okay, I'm going to fly in. And I did over like a couple of weeks after the execution. I flew over Christmas. Okay. And we met some of the other partners we had on the ground in North Korea. Um, and people are very cagey, right? Obviously, no one's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's related. They were just kind of like, His, uh, your partner has fallen sick. He has decided to go on a holiday uh, and it's on a very extended holiday and we cannot read. So I was like, well, okay, well, this, this sounds quite scary. So nothing happened on that trip. I went back. They just assured me like, oh, the programs are good. You know, people appreciate it. It's, it should continue. And we had new partners to work with us uh, on it and people we knew from before. So that was that was quite scary. And then I think a year later, we kind of found out that it was somewhat related. He was brought in for questioning about whether he had links to the uncle. Mm. And, you know, they eventually found out that he didn't have any links. He was released. Uh, there wasn't any problem for him. But it was one of those periods where I was like quite scared because, you know, there was all these rumors going on at that point in time. It's like, oh, maybe it's, you know, it's a pushback against more uh, a more open economy, a more integrated economy. Uh, that's why the uncle was perch. You know, the other people say, "Oh, just because he was very corrupt." So we didn't really know what to what to expect. Um, and and I'm feeling a little bit, you know, tense now because I'm hearing your story. But I think you know, for folks who who are who are listening and saying, "Hey, you know, n- nothing really happened," but I guess you know, in, in such circumstances, anything could happen, right? Just because yeah. when they draw links and they talk to people, and that that's a bit of the the, the, the scary part. I think you make a very good point uh, in the sense that North Korea is not a normal environment. So you are working with very, very limited information, yep. uh, very poor communication with all the different stakeholders, and you're left to a lot of guesswork on what's going on. You know, when we talk to people on the ground, we hear very bizarre stories that I'm always just like, man, th- th- can this kind of things actually happen? Uh, and you realize they do. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so on to, on to a lighter topic. Uh, in running your, your economic exchange programs, can you give us a glimpse of what entrepreneurship in North Korea looks like? Yeah, so they kind of run the gamut of... Uh, so it's very different from startups in the rest of the world. Uh, so they you, you, you kind of you know we, we think of everything oh, technology like disruption uh, but in, in I think innovation happens in very local contexts right on very um, yes. on things that are quite minor but it's contextual so an example is uh, you know yeah. we have things all the way from coffee shops so one one of this lady who took part in our workshop she attended a, a workshop where one of our workshops actually ran coffee shops in Shanghai and he was showing pictures, talking about it and what they're trying to create, this space for people to interact. And she was so impressed by it. She decides, like, oh, I'm going to, like, make a very hipster-looking coffee shop in, in North Korea. So she actually had, like, you know, those polished concrete floors, uh, like glass windows that face onto the street. And these are very unusual for North Korea because in North Korea, most of the restaurants, people are very secretive. They are, the restaurants are always on the second floor. If they have windows, they actually very often board it up instead of leaving it quite open which is very weird to me because I always like, wow, you know, you have this great view, you have sunlight and then people are like, oh, we are going to like wallpaper it up so the windows are shut. Yeah, and so these, these new ideas that get introduced to them and they, they, these, these entrepreneurs actually eventually implement it, like, are they, do they feel, um, are they comfortable with that? Like, what, what, how do they react to, to the new things that are being brought in? Um, I think it's challenging, right? So um, for a lot of them, because you, if you bring something new, you not just have to be convinced yourself. You know, you see it, you interact with it. A lot of these people, when we bring them abroad, they they see something and they, they are like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I never thought about it in this way. But then when you go back, you then have to convince all the stakeholders on why uh, yes. you know, why this idea would work. <laughs> you know, you have opposition from, from all the different ministries, from all the stakeholders, you know. In the same way, like, you know, if you're out here and trying to do something new and, and you like, oh, I have this terrific, super futuristic idea and now I have to go convince maybe investors and they're like, hmm, I don't know if this makes money. <laughs> but for them, it's like every little step, you have to have a stakeholder involved. Yeah, but but it's interesting, right? Because, you know, when we think about entrepreneurship, like you said, whether it's in, in Singapore, the US, it's, it's digital ideas, but maybe over there, even starting a cafe, starting a supermarket, these are things that the entrepreneurs are excited to, to, to solve. Yeah, yeah. So you have there, right? We have the cafe, we have a guy who set up, uh, you know, one guy who's been to our workshop so many times, and he set up a chain of the first chain of convenience stores in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, and his insight was that it's just it's very simple, right? It's like <laughs> most convenience stores, uh, because of the legacy communist system, they are nine to five um, or nine to six. So then, he made it 24 hours. <laughs> he just extended the working hours. He said, Look, people get off work at six o'clock. <laughs> so if you want to catch the traffic, you open from six to, to eight o'clock. Uh, and that was his big innovation. Uh, and we also obviously have people who are doing more like technology stuff. So some people are doing like e-commerce platforms uh, and all that. So we've seen other people. So, it's very interesting, right? And, and thanks for helping us debunk the myth that it, not everything is a state-owned enterprise there. And that in, in, this, in the country of North Korea, there are entrepreneurs that can you know, start a cafe, start a restaurant, and, and that's totally normal. Yeah, so it's, 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 I think when I mentioned the institutions are not really there, uh, that's one of the, the, the problems. So they, I think officially everything is state-owned. In practice, uh, there are incentives. So you can kind of own a business, you have managerial rights, you get the profits, but there is no legal institution that says, oh, Terrence, you have equity in this company and the equity is sellable uh, or you can, you can IPO it or whatever. 
so it leaves the entrepreneurs in a very uncomfortable position because they don't know uh, what's going to happen to to the business down the road if they build it successfully. Yeah, but I guess in this case, they still have the opportunity to express their ideas and put something into reality versus, you know, I think some of us have this impression that in North Korea, you, you can, everyone's a farmer, you cannot do anything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a very different reality, right? Yeah. No, so, so I actually know very little about North Korea, but in preparing for this podcast, um, conversation i read that they actually have their own their own intranet their own smartphones their own app stores uh they have their own like startup ecosystem even yep pretty much i mean i think entrepreneurship is everywhere right i think it's very hard to to stamp it out uh i do believe the north korean entrepreneurs uh work in a very challenging environment um from everything right from like fundraising from not having the right legal institutions to you know just dealing with a consumer base that's still fairly uh fairly uh, low income. Um, but that's it. There is innovation happening there. So you mentioned there's a domestic intranet. Um, we have seen more people trying to build apps on uh, on the intranet uh, you know, in, 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 in recent years. They have their own app stores, which are actually physical app stores. Wow. Uh, where you go Wait, there. What does that mean? You, you bring your phone to a physical location? You bring your phone there and they help you install the apps. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Today I learned... Yeah, yeah. And last year, you, I believe you guys organized the inaugural uh, a startup festival. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so this program, uh, so it's, it's called the Njong Startup Festival. So we organize it uh, with a partner uh, every, um, every year, at least pre-COVID, <laughs> uh, in a city slightly north of Pyongyang. Uh, it's not too far, it's maybe like one hour drive uh, from Pyongyang, uh, which is the capital city. Uh, and, and it started from this idea we had to build an accelerator program, an incubator inside the country. So the idea was that uh, we wanted to have North Koreans run through uh, a more standard accelerator program, uh, pitch the ideas, and then go on and build the, the, the companies that they, they're pitching and thinking about. Um, so what happened was in 2000, I think it was 2014, uh, 2015, we brought uh, like two groups of North Koreans to Singapore and Malaysia. So we had them take part in like a, what we call we, a mini MBA program uh, where they would learn about various business topics. They interned in uh, some accelerators. They went to visit other accelerators. Uh, and the people who took part in the program actually went back to set up this six-month program. So it runs for half a year and then it culminates in the Unjong Startup Festival where we bring volunteers from abroad to go in there to, uh, to kind of see a picture ideas, give them feedback, work with some of the startups and help them kind of like refine their thinking. So we're quite proud that I think that out of that program, we've been running it since. Uh, so the startup festival is a bit of a rebranding, but the program itself started in uh, 2016 in the country. We've run it for three years now and we have, you know, all sorts of products from, from we had, there was one guy who was creating a stress relief drink that to me tastes suspiciously like mouthwash. And then to things like surge protectors, uh, you know, they, because you know the electricity supply there fluctuates a lot, to things like e-commerce. Wow. And, and pardon me for being ignorant, but do you guys communicate in English or through a translate? How, how, how does it work operationally? We generally communicate in English and then we have translators to help with the translation. For the startup program, uh, it's quite interesting because a lot of them have a science background. And they can at least read a little bit of English or understand a little bit of English. So it kind of helps a lot with the direct human communication because we always have don't have enough like trained translators on the ground there. 
Yes, yes, yeah. Super interesting. Now, looking back on the past, you know, almost more than a decade with Chosen Exchange, what was the hardest or what was the lowest point, you know, things that you, you didn't really talk about before? Yeah, so the truth is that the situation from our perspective, it progressively goes downward ever since I started. You know, every time I start, I always think, oh, you know, we are at the we are at the trough now, you know, it can't go lower, it can only go up. Then we're like, oh no, actually it can go lower. Um, and by that I mean the broader Joe politics, right? So I think for our work is progressing, people are learning, people are doing things. But the broader geopolitics with the US, uh, you know, to some extent South Korea. And basically these things that are, that are out of your control. Yeah, and, and they make a big impact, right? In terms of mm-hmm. like funding, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the operational challenges uh, working in the country. Uh, so, you know, those things have generally kind of, um, you know, not, they've not had a, a, a nuclear deal uh, in the last, you know, decade that I've been working on, right? So we're hoping that there is a breakthrough, but, you know, we have not seen it. Yeah. And I guess also COVID, right? That that prevents you from, you know, delivering these programs in person, etc. Yeah. So actually with the COVID, uh, it's forced us to innovate a little bit. So we have actually pivoted to creating uh, our version of online programs for North Koreans. It's a bit more challenging just because, you know, North Korea doesn't have access to the internet. So you have to be quite creative in, in the product. Uh, but we've pivoted and we have done some work to deliver, continue delivering programs. Uh, and we think that actually is such a good innovation that we want it to continue alongside our regular programs when travel is possible again. No, 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 super cool. So we've 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 talked a little bit about you know these hard times, but so what has kept you going for these past ten years? Like, what what drives you? What's your biggest motivation? I think the people I meet on the ground, uh, the fact that I know they benefit a lot from this, and it's very hard for us to imagine it, right? Given the the content rich and information rich world we live yes. in now. But for North Koreans, you know, if you don't have access to Google, you don't have access to Facebook, you don't have access to Wikipedia and all those things, uh, the people that we bring down there provides all of that. <laughs> they are the source of information. They are source for someone to talk to. And you actually, it's quite cute because sometimes you meet North Koreans or first time meeting a foreigner and they're just so eager to talk and they just keep talking and talking. Like they want to, like, I want to give you the download on the last 40 years of my life. <laughs> um, so that's, uh, that's quite interesting. Um, so I think that's something that uh, I value a lot. The fact that I know people benefit, they learn from it and it helps open up their perspective. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned that, you know, because they have no Google. So basically when, when folks like, like you guys from, from Chosen Exchange go down, you are their window to the world. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, they, they, they can't leave. So whoever comes in tells them what, what's happening beyond their borders. Yeah, yeah. And it's their chance to also after ask questions. Um, it's, a, it's a very dynamic experience. Um, I think the other thing is just the hope to someday see a real breakthrough, uh, you know, in the, in the society and their relations with the world uh, and that North Korea would integrate uh, into the region, into the rest of the world. Um, I, think, I think that's something that that is important and I always keep in mind, right? It's it's a marathon, you know, uh, it's a long game and and we hope that, you know, the work uh, will help that process of uh, reconciliation and integration uh, into the world. Since we're talking about this, what does the next 10 years look like for Chosen Exchange and, and I guess how can people get involved? Yeah, so I think for, for us, um, you know, our, our ambition is to create the first generation of startups in the country. Uh, and, you know, our programs will continue, the education programs will keep going on, uh, and that's important to us. And we hope that, you know, 
as the situation changes, uh, as regulation changes, there are more we can do to support those uh, startups and kind of make them a reality. So I think that's one thing. Um, I think in terms of how people can help us, uh, you know, the most important is go to our webpage, sign up on our mailing list and join us on a future trip to help with the training in the country. I think anyone with, to some extent, quite limited business skills to very extensive business knowledge or have, we have ways for them to contribute. The other part is uh, gift match programs are very helpful to us. So we actually have a fair bit of support from people working at tech firms uh, and as a, re- as, a, as a registered nonprofit in the US, uh, we get uh, some support from people who have gift match programs uh, and able to donate and get the companies to match the donation. Uh, and the last part is we are doing some online programs uh, at the moment. Um, and there's always help we can get with people who can help us curate and develop some of that content. Got it. Um, super helpful. Those three points we'll be sure to um, look into. Uh, and I guess, you know, the, you know, it's from, from the story that you shared when you met that that, that lady almost 15 years ago when you first went to the Korean Peninsula, you could have done so many things, but you chose specifically to build a bridge to connect the world with North Korea. Um, do you have any advice for folks who are listening in, especially younger folks uh, who are thinking about how can I do something that's a little bit uh, less conventional, again, you know, go against the grain, something different in my life? Just general thoughts on that. I like how you use the term "going against the grain," um, but uh, I think I think you know I, I I feel is to take that longer term perspective uh, and to it's a, it's a journey to discover what excites you and what you want to do, and I just think at different phases in life uh, there are different things that are exciting, and I feel you know it's not a linear journey. I think there are periods where it's been very difficult. Um, there are periods where uh, you know it's it's, you know, I feel like, oh, I should have taken an easier path and a more kind of remunerative path. Uh, but I think if you find something that you're truly excited about, you know, it gives you a lot of energy and it also kind of mobilizes the people around you who want to believe in you and help you uh, when they're able to feel that you're truly passionate about something. Yeah, no. And um, th- th- thanks for sharing your story with us, Geoffrey. I feel like such a hermit crap before today's episode. I-, I didn't know much about North Korea. I was one of those who had these preconceived notions about this you know, backward country that's disconnected from the world. But I learned so much just spending 30 minutes with you and, and I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks, Geoffrey. And thanks for listening as we wrap up the first season of Zero to One Humans with this final episode. I particularly enjoyed getting a fresh perspective debunking so many myths of this country from someone who has actually been on the ground and interacted with North Koreans. I hope that in my lifetime, we can see a North Korea reintegrated with the rest of the world, championed by everyday entrepreneurs on both sides of the bridge. Please do send feedback my way via 0to1humans at gmail.com and I'll hope to see you in Season 2. Goodbye!